0: All right, would you stand with me this Christmas morning as we read the Christmas story out of the book of Luke, chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 20, very recognizable passage. Uh, If you're using one of the Pew Bibles in front of you, you can find this on page 588. Again, we're going to read Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come before you humbly this morning. We praise you and thank you for the reason that we're able to celebrate this Christmas time. God, we just pray that you would uh, reveal to us, Lord, uh, God, your goodness and your greatness through the birth of your Son and the story uh, that surrounds it. In Christ's name, amen.
1: This is my uh, favorite version of the Christmas story as told by Luke in which Kirk just read for us. I absolutely love Luke's version here in Luke chapter 2 of of Christ's birth and and, uh, and how Luke records it, what he tells and and the details about it. In fact, uh, in our family we used to have a tradition uh, every Christmas morning when my boys were smaller they're not so small anymore. One's 19, one's 15. In fact, Darla and I, we were just lamenting last night as we opened up our presents that Christmas isn't quite as fun anymore uh, in opening presents because they're not kids. They, they don't get little kids' toys. And, and Jack used to always, when he would open up a present, he would just, I mean, yell and scream and jump up and down and rip the paper open. And now our, our opening of the presents is much more subdued. They, you know They get big boy toys now. You know, like clothes and money for college and things like that. and It's not quite as exciting, so we had a really subdued Christmas Eve last night. But one of our traditions was we would always read Luke chapter 2, this Christmas story here, on Christmas morning as a family, and I'd let Jack and Tyler take turns reading it. And and, and for many years, we'd even have a birthday cake uh, in honor of Jesus Christ and celebrating his birthday and even sing happy birthday and... And then we would open up our presence. and so I, I'm excited that it worked out that we're going to be looking at this version of the Christmas story. In fact, one of my favorite philosophers and theologians that we hear oftentimes during this time of year is Charlie Brown. How many know of Charlie Brown? Sure, many of you do. Remember watching the Charlie Brown Christmas? Anybody see it this year? It was on TV again, as every year. And in the TV special, Charlie Brown finds himself, he's depressed he's despite this onset of the cheerful holiday season. And and so Lucy comes along and suggests that he direct this school Christmas play, but he is both ignored. In fact, he's even mocked by his peers and his friends. And so in desperation, Charlie Brown begins to wonder if he even really knows what Christmas is all about. Well, in fact, take a look. I think i got a clip coming up here. How true that is. That is what Christmas is all about. And that's what we find in Luke's version of the Christmas story here. As the angel proclaims to the shepherds what Christmas is all about. It is about the good news of Jesus' birth. And because of this good news, notice the shepherds here. They go from sheer terror of seeing God's glory to this great joy of hearing the good news of Jesus' birth. Now what the shepherds saw out in the fields that first Christmas night absolutely terrified them. And we can hardly imagine how terrified these shepherds were when suddenly, with with no warning whatsoever, an angel showed up in this blazing glory. In fact, it's even difficult for us here to describe the dramatic significance of that moment that the angel appeared to these shepherds. Luke says in verse 9, "...the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid." The full impact of this hits home, if you, if you just consider for a moment what the glory of the Lord actually is. Simply define the glory of the Lord is, is the presence of God revealed in light. And that light is so powerful that if God revealed it fully to human beings, we would be incinerated at once. And so it's understandable to read that these shepherds were absolutely terrified by what they were seeing that night. This was such a frightening experience that the first thing the angel had to tell the shepherds, as we have seen throughout this series, is what the angel says to every human being that sees angels. And the first thing is what? Fear not. And then the angel told them why, verses 10 and 11. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, or in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now this is is absolutely incredible. The problem is we've heard this story so often we kind of glance over it. We're, We're so familiarized with it. But the angel had to come to proclaim the good news of Jesus' birth, and this good news brought great joy to the shepherds. No wonder, after reading these verses, Linus tells Charlie Brown that's what Christmas is all about. And so what I want us to do for a few minutes here is kind of unpack this, if you will. Let's unwrap it and see what Christmas is all about, but view it from the perspective of the shepherds. Notice number one, Jesus' birth was announced to the shepherds. God sends the angel to announce the good news of Jesus' birth, but what's really astonishing in Luke's version of the Christmas story is who God sends the angels to, and it's none other than shepherds. Now, if you were a public relations agent in charge of getting out the news of Jesus' birth, the last group you would have picked to be the first to inform would have been a small group of shepherds. Instead, you maybe would have targeted the influencers of that day, the real movers and shakers, such as the religious leaders, or perhaps even the chief priest, or maybe you would have gone to King Herod or even Caesar Augustus. But none of those alternatives was God's option for revealing the news of Jesus' birth. Instead, God sent the angel to one of the most unlikeliest groups of people imaginable, lowly shepherds. In fact, notice this on the screen in your notes, the unlikeliness of the shepherds. Shepherds in that day in Jewish history, they were one of the most disrespected and despised groups of people. And so it's astounding that God chose to announce the birth of a son to a bunch of smelly shepherds like them. Luke 2 8, it's interesting. It doesn't tell us much about who these shepherds were. There's no adjectives to describe them. All it says is now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. What we do know about the shepherds is they made up the lowest class of people in that day, coming in just ahead of the lepers. Because of this, shepherds were considered ceremonially unclean. Their nature of their work, they were unable to attend any religious services and they were physically dirty and smelly. But what's worse is that the religious leaders of that day also considered them to be spiritually smelly and dirty. They weren't fit, if you will, to worship our Savior. They weren't fit to to wait on Him and His coming. And so the religious leaders and the Pharisees of that day looked down on this group of people. And they lived in isolation. They were often forgotten. Their flocks needed to move around to find fresh grass and water, so they never stayed in one place for long. They were treated with contempt and mistrust. In fact, they were universally known the stereotype as thieves. And because they were so unreliable, their testimony was not even allowed in a court of law on that day. They were known to be rather brash and bold. They, they were considered on par with gypsies and tax collectors. And, and most shepherds were poorly educated, poorly paid. And so this is a low class of people. And it's, it's easy to see why shepherds probably felt very much unworthy, inadequate, and even unloved. Shepherds were the lowest people on the Jewish social ladder, and they became despised people in Jewish history. Shepherds were considered unreliable, dishonest, unsavory group of people. They're they're the type of people that if they would have been alive today, they would have been pulled out of the TSA line and purposely searched. And that's what makes this story all the more remarkable. God entrusted the greatest message ever sent from heaven to the shepherds first. Thus, when Jesus came, he did not go First to to all the people of influence and prestige and clout. Jesus came first to the poor and lowly, the meek and the mild. Anyone who was disrespected and despised in the shepherds fit that category. Think of it this way. These lamb keepers were the first to hear that the Lamb of God had just been born. That's the great news. In fact, it brings us to our second point here. Jesus' birth is good news of great joy. It's good news of great joy. Christmas is all about good news of great joy, and here's why. Look again in our text in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. It says, Then the angel, and notice that it's a singular angel, not plural, not yet, said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And then he defines that great joy. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What is the good news of great joy? Well, it's first and foremost, it is about the birth of a Savior, but it also includes His death and resurrection. That is the good news of great joy. Luke's Gospel begins with the birth of Jesus Christ. And by the time you get to the end of Luke's Gospel here, you discover that this good news also includes the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, this good news of great joy, it includes the cross and the empty tomb, but it begins right here in a manger. A Savior is born. That's why we're here. That's what we're celebrating. But it's not just any Savior. The angel is very specific about the birth of this Savior. In fact, the angel tells us it's a Savior is born this day, In the city of David. This means the Savior's birth happened on a real day in history. Not a fantasy day in some mythological imaginary story. According to Luke 2.1, a day when Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. It was a day planned in eternity before the creation of the world. And according to Galatians 4.4, it happened on a perfect day at the perfect time appointed by God. The Savior's birth also happened in a real city, not in Narnia, not in Middle Earth, not in a galaxy far, far away, but it happened in the city of what? David. And according to Luke 2, 4, this city is called Bethlehem, five miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem, the city that the prophet Micah predicted Jesus would be born in, but the Luke Angel also tells us that it was a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. The angel identifies who this baby is with three distinct titles here in this phrase. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And if you've ever sinned against God, then you desperately need what? We need a Savior. Someone who will save you from your sins. Someone who has authority. Someone who has power to forgive your sin. Therefore, a Savior was born. And this Savior is none other than Jesus Christ, the Lord. Christ, meaning the Anointed One. Messiah. Jesus Christ is that long-predicted, long-awaited Messiah who would fulfill all the hopes and dreams of Israel and even us. This baby is also the Lord, the angel says. There may be an authority in the city of Rome, an emperor, Caesar Augustus, But this little child who was born in this little town of Bethlehem, he is the one with sovereign authority. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he is the one before whom emperors bow, and presidents bow, and nations bow. And according to Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is what? Lord of all. And then the angel tells us that this Savior, and I love what the angel says here, this is a Savior who is born for us. We typically expect a birth announcement to say something like, born to Mr. and Mrs. Jones or Smith or whoever. But notice what the angel says here in verse 11. For there is born to you. It's almost verbatim, of what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Isn't it surprising? It's not what we expect to hear, for there is born to you. These words are almost like a, a tag on a Christmas present that says to and then from. And in the same way, the angel almost is placing a tag on the manger that said to you from God. Here, the good news takes on a rather personal significance. The Savior was born to you. And it's the difference between wishing for a Savior and having a Savior. It's the difference between wishing for your present and actually having a present. It's the difference between Jack, he was hoping to get a pair of van shoes. Are you wearing them this morning, Jack? No? No, he, he was, I mean, that's all he wanted. I want these pair of Vans shoes, Dad. I want these, he asked his Mima for him. He asked his Aunt Donna, his Aunt Joe. And it's like, I don't, Jack, I don't know if you're going to get these. He's wishing, he's wishing, he's wishing. Lo and behold, last night, or actually last week, they got shipped to us. One of his aunts bought them and shipped them to our house. And that's the difference. He's no longer wishing. Why? Because he actually has them. And now a Savior is born to you. We don't have to wish anymore for the Savior to come and forgive us of our sins. We actually have a Savior now. So what does this mean? Well, here it is. Think of it. It's Christmas Day today. And millions of people all over the world are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. So what does that actually mean? What difference does that make in our lives? Well, number three, Jesus' birth means God's glory And our peace. And when the angel proclaimed this good news of great joy to the shepherds and pointed them to the manger where the Savior lay, suddenly there appears an army of angels in the sky. Evidently, one angel can bring the good news of Jesus' birth, but it doesn't suffice for one angel to respond to the good news of Jesus' birth. And that demands an army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Do you see the connection here? Do you see how the birth of the Savior is connected to God's glory in our peace? First and foremost, God is glorified. Why? Because the Savior is born. Who is Christ the Lord? Who is the Son of God? And peace is spread everywhere. This Savior is received. The birth of the Savior is the greatest revelation of God's glory. And this Savior will bring peace on earth. In fact, you go back to the prophet Isaiah, and he proclaimed this peace the Savior would bring in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, where he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then listen, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. But this begs a question, does it not? Surely, right now in your own mind, you're asking the question, well, if Jesus came to bring peace, then why is there still so much chaos and conflict? Hatred and hostility, violence and vengeance, and so little peace here on our earth. Well, the Bible explains that. It answers that question in a very straightforward way. It's because people continue to ignore God and continue to reject His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that, according to Psalm chapter 2. In fact, in that Psalm, it begins with the question, why? That's the question everyone seems to be asking. Verse 1 ask, Why, 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 why do the nations rage? Why do people plot a vain thing? In other words, why is there international conflict? Why is there individual confusion and chaos and turmoil? The psalmist back then, sees what we see now. There's no peace in the world, is there? And so the psalmist asks the obvious question, why? And the answer quickly flows from his pen. In verses 2 through 3, when he writes, the kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, that is Jesus the Messiah, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. In other words, world leaders have decided that they don't want to be accountable to God. And that their counsel is to reject God and His Son, Jesus Christ. This is why there is a lack of peace in our world today. What do you expect when you turn your nose up at God? Mankind is the reason there is no peace in our world today. But understand, oh please understand, God's purpose is not thwarted when mankind shakes its fist towards heaven. Psalm 2 goes on to describe God's response to this human rebellion of ours in verses 4 through 6 when it says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. In other words, God is merely biding His time. He's waiting for the perfect moment to announce that enough is enough. And at that time, God will put an end to all rebellion. He will then enthrone His King, Jesus, the anointed Messiah, upon the earth. Then and only then will there be peace. On earth. Folks, that's the way it's always been. And that's the way it will always be until our Savior returns again. And at that time, when the Prince of Peace rules the earth and the government is upon his shoulders, there will be, in the words of Isaiah, no end of peace. Just think about that. No end of peace. There will be individual peace and there will be world peace because the presence of the Prince of Peace. But what about today? What about now? Is there any hope for peace today? Or are we relegated to living in fear as long as we're here on this earth? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, we will never experience world peace until Jesus comes again to establish his government on this earth. But no, that doesn't mean we can't experience peace with God now when we receive Jesus Christ and trust him as Savior and Messiah and Lord. And so in the words of the angel, fear not. Fear not. You say, why? Because a Savior is born. That is the greatest news in all the world. And what that means is that the fear of God can be replaced by peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, this phrase that the angel says, "...and on earth peace, goodwill toward men," it's actually better translated in the ESV version as, "...and on earth peace among those whom God is pleased." And who is God pleased with? Well, God is pleased with those who receive His Son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior and Lord. It's these people who receive Jesus, who trust Him, who experience God's peace. Here's the problem. It's the problem of humanity, but it's also the problem of each one of us. It's an individual problem as well. We don't think we need a Savior to save us from our sins. We think we're like little Norman, who wrote a letter to Santa Claus. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live at our house. There is Jeffrey, he is two. There is David, he is four. And there is Norman, he is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. I'm Norman. And that's our problem. We think we're all Normans, but we're not. We're sinners who need a Savior. Our greatest need is peace with God. And this peace is not a feeling. This peace is not chestnuts roasting on an open fire. This peace is not Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Listen, it's a state of peace following a state of war. You're like, war? What war? What hostility? Well, it's my war. It's my hostility. It's humanity's war against God in our rebellion against Him. Paul describes it this way in Romans 8, 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. In other words, at war with God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Billy Graham, in his book, Peace with God, writes, The greatest warfare going on in the world today is between mankind and God. People may not realize that they are at war with God, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, God considers them to be at war with Him. But there's good news. Fear not, a Savior is born. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have what with God? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior who is born. Justified simply means that God now declares you righteous in His sight by imputing to you, by crediting to you. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God does that by faith alone in Christ alone. Not by our works, not by tradition, not by baptism, not by church membership, but by faith alone in Christ alone. When we believe in Jesus as the Savior and Lord, we are united to Him. We are united to His righteousness. And it is counted by God as our righteousness. In other words, we are justified by faith. We are declared righteous. And the result of that is peace with God the Father. We are now reconciled with Him in our relationship. Before, in our relationship with God, we were at war because our sin separates us from God. And so we needed a mediator, we needed a Savior to reconcile us back to God, and that's what the Savior does here. God's wrath is now turned away from us. Our rebellion against God is overcome. God adopts us into his family. And from now on, all his dealings with us are for our good and for God's glory. In other words, God will never be against us. He's our father. He's our friend. We have peace with God that you can never lose, that can never be taken away from you. It's a peace that is eternal. As the carol goes, peace on earth. Mercy mild, God in sinners reconcile. Fear not. A savior is born. Peace with God. This is the kind of peace the angels proclaim to the shepherds. This is the kind of peace that only Jesus brings to the world. This is the kind of peace. It's the most wonderful message that the angels could proclaim and the world has ever heard. And the question is, do you have it? Do you have peace with God? If you don't, then what better time than Christmas Day than now to trust Him as your Savior and Lord. To confess your sin, to repent of your sin, and ask God to forgive you and to place your faith and trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ. What better day than Christmas Day than to be reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And if you do have peace with God, then let me encourage you, and I know many of you do already, then do what the shepherds did. And you're like, Well, what did the shepherds do, Bruce? Oh, Luke tells us what the shepherds did. Notice it in verses 15 through 17 in verse 20. It says, so it was when the angels had gone away from them, that is the shepherds into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And what did they do? And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And then verse 20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. A Savior is born. And the question is now what? And the answer is simple. Do what the shepherds did. Witness and worship. It's that simple. Witness and worship. Do you see what the shepherds did here? After the Savior was born, they started witnessing and worshiping. This is what the angels were doing prior. And now they are the ones witnessing about Jesus Christ and worshiping God Almighty. This is what the good news of Jesus' birth does. It brings us to faith in Jesus and this in turn. It leads us. It launches us, if you will, to witness about Jesus and to worship God the Father. The shepherds were one of the most despised groups of people in all of Jewish history. And yet, in God's grace, God chose them to be the first witnesses and worshipers of His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what? We, we here as Christ followers, we now get to fulfill the role of these shepherds. We get to do what they did. We get to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ, and we get to worship God for His gift of Jesus Christ. Luke 20, 20, the last verse says, "...then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God... For all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. you ever thought about what a difference a day can make in one's life? What a difference a day can make. On the day before Christ was born, these shepherds were doing what? They were just out in the fields tending their sheep. And on the day after Christ was born... These shepherds were doing what? Oh, they were back in the fields once again tending their smelly sheep. Only this time, they were witnessing and worshiping. What's really significant here is that the shepherds, quote, returned, Luke says. They returned to where they had started. They went back to their dirty, smelly job of tending sheep in the fields. Having seen the babe in the manger, it was now time to go back to work, and so they did, and so must we. You teens will go back to school in a few weeks. Most of you here will go back to work after Monday, or perhaps the following Tuesday after New Year's. We'll go back to our same routines and our same lives. Yes, they're kind of on pause during the holiday season here, Christmas Day will come to an end, and soon enough, we will take down the tree, we will pack away the decorations, and either we will enjoy our gifts or we will exchange our gifts. In a few days, as we said, you will go back to school and you will go back to work, and life will return to the normal routine. And the question is, will we do? What the shepherds did. Will we witness and worship like the shepherds did? If you're a Christ follower here this morning, you have been called, I have been called to fulfill the role of the shepherds now. God is calling us to witness and worship. And if you ponder that, as you think about that, here at the end of 2.16, as we go forward into 2017, what is your plan for that? Have you thought about that? Who are you going to witness to? Who needs to hear the good news of great joy about Jesus Christ? Who in your life? The people that God brings you into contact with. I would consider, I would challenge you, I would encourage you to write down three people's names and begin to pray. Pray for them. Pray that God would open up their hearts to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason I would say pray is because here's what I have found. When I pray for lost people, I am then more motivated to actually engage with them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To witness. And when you think about your worship, worship is corporate, but worship is also individual. It's personal. And so here you are in the last Sunday of the year, 2016, in corporate worship. Man, determine, set it as a priority going into 2017 that corporate worship will be a priority in your life. But more than that, even also determine in your own personal worship what is your plan for that? And it can be as simple, really, as spending time alone with God, getting into His Word, reading it, and praying to Him. That is worship. And so what is your plan? And there's no excuse. We have so many plans out there nowadays. Just Google Bible reading plan. And there will be a ton of them that come up. YouVersion Bible app. We have some in the back. I know Pastor Chris next Sunday will be promoting this as well. And so let me encourage you. Do what the shepherds did for having seen, having experienced the good news of Jesus Christ witness in worship let's pray lord we thank you that what the angels proclaimed about the birth of jesus christ as the savior and the peace that he brings to our lives we thank you that this peace is not something that we earn it's not something we can lose either once we have it but it is reconciliation with god We thank you and we praise you for your grace and mercy to us. Lord, convict us, change us, transform us. And we pray this peace that the angels proclaim what evidence itself in our lives through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for your grace to us through Him. And may we leave here and do what the angels did, witnessing and worshiping you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The praise team's going to sing a chorus, and as they do, will you respond? As a Christ follower, perhaps your response is to renew your commitment to Jesus Christ of witnessing and worshiping Him. If you have yet to put your faith and trust in Christ, let me invite you right now to cry out to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and that you want to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord.